G'day, welcome back. Darren Mitchell here, and you're about to listen to another brand new episode of the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast. And I've got to say, the special guests keep rolling in. Another phenomenal conversation today, and this time I'm speaking with Akeem Shannon, who is the founder and CEO of Flipstick. Um, Akeem has a phenomenal background. Uh, he's been in sales. He's been an entrepreneur. He's been on Shark Tank twice. Well, actually, he's actually been on once, but he should have been on twice, but he was cut the first time, which we'll go into in the episode. And he came back and eventually got some funding from one of the Shark Tank, uh, I guess, sharks, for want of a better term, after he convinced Snoop Dogg to, uh, that he was a branding genius. And uh, one thing led to another. And uh, this is a story of persistence. This is a story of never, ever giving up. And whether you're a sales leader or a salesperson looking to extract even more potential, uh, this is an absolute must listen. So if you want to know more about Akeem, please check out the show notes. Um, he's a fantastic person. I'm sure you're going to love the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. So without further ado, let's get straight into the episode. Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales leader looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast and a very, very special welcome to a great man, um, Mr. Akeem Shannon, all the way from St. Louis in Missouri. How are you, my friend? Yes, sir. I'm doing very well, Darren. How about yourself? Very well, thank you. Um, and I got I got to publicly uh, thank you for your flexibility. We were going to record this yesterday, but um, circumstances made it a little bit more challenging. So, greatly appreciate you making some time to to jump on and talk about um, talk a bit about your story, but also uh, sales and sales leadership because that's what this podcast is all about. And I know you've got a ripping story, a ripping background, which I'd love to jump into. So, how's the um? I was going to say, how's the weather in St. Louis at the moment? Because it's still you know, back end of winter, right? It's still back end of winter, although we have been fortunate uh, over the past few days. We got a little bit of reprieve. So it's it's about 52, 56 degrees outside Fahrenheit, you know, for all my Celsius guys out there. Uh, but, man, like two weeks ago, it was it was like negative, negative six Fahrenheit, which I think is like, what, negative like 20 or something Celsius. So it was, it was brutal here. Man, you walk outside and freeze. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was really bad. It was really yeah. bad. Well, it's always interesting because sometimes I'll talk to people in Canada and because we're at the back end of summer here and here in, I'm in Melbourne, just north of Melbourne. And, um, you know, today is going to be, for example, like 24 degrees Celsius. And they're oh, saying, well, wonderful. last night there was like two feet of snow. We've had the snow plows down. <laughs> Isn't it great? You can actually talk to somebody as if you're in the same room, but they're on the other side of the world and experiencing such different climates. It's just, um, just phenomenal. Man, you, you know, it, it's great. And, 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 you know, I also went and tested out the new, um, the new Apple Vision Pro, and they're telling me that one day you're going to literally be able to, to, to transport yourself uh, to where someone else is at and really experience that cold. <laughs> so, so that's that's coming down the pipe. Apple will certainly <laughs> design and create a teleporter. I'm unbelievable. Yeah, talk, talk about exceptional sales leadership. How, that's yeah. the only way you can sell a, a $3,500 uh, pair of goggles. 
Man, that is amazing. That is amazing. Hey, looking really looking forward to this conversation. So for those, uh, I'll, I'll get you going to a little bit of your backstory in a second, but just as a way of introduction for everybody on the podcast that are currently listening, you are the CEO and founder of Flipstick. Um, you are an entrepreneur. You've got a very interesting backstory. And, and with your permission, I'm probably going to make this uh, title from the psych ward to Shark Tank or something similar because you are... Um, have it. been on Shark Tank and you have uh, an affiliation I'll with the great man Snoop Dogg. <laughs> That's true. Yep. That's right. <laughs> so I love to. OG. Oh man, that's 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 fantastic. So absolute privilege talking to me. Who's uh, so for me to talk to you because what do they say? Two degrees of separation now. So you know, through right. you, we can sort of touch Snoop Dogg because the only affiliation I have with Snoop Dogg is his um, rapping on menu log ads in Australia. <laughs> Now that's something I gotta see. <laughs> it's fantastic, fantastic. So, for the benefit of our listeners, can you just give us a little bit of uh, background on your on your story and and what led you? Because I know you've got a background in sales as well. Um, what led you to become the CEO and founder of of Flipstick and and essentially what you do now? Yeah, man. So you know, I before I got into sales, I actually fell into it, um, and I actually was going to study chemical engineering for university. I lose my scholarship at a full scholarship. I lose it three semesters into university. I have to come home. Complete shame. Uh, I, I just felt like I truly let my parents down. I'm an only child. And I, I made myself a promise when I came home that by the time my friends graduate college, I wanted to be making as much as the average college graduate. And so with that mindset, I started looking for jobs and I was always interested in cell phones. And so I end up working at a cell phone shop in retail for Sprint uh, here, which was one of the top four carriers. I start working there. I'm really great at sales there, making lots of sales, getting promotions. But, you know, it, the pay was still not great. Right? It's like 10 bucks an hour plus commission. So I, I wasn't making a ton of money, but I was learning. And after about two-ish years, I got an opportunity to go to another wireless carrier in the States, Verizon, at the time, I think it was number two. But for them, I worked in a call center. So I was going to be out of retail and I wasn't yeah. going to be selling cell phones, but instead their fiber optic internet uh, and television service to consumers and business owners. And what I found was after about three and a half years, um, I had saved up nearly $100,000 and I was making nearly six figures with oh. just the high school education yeah. uh, in sales. And throughout that period, man, I was just, I just felt like I was on fire. And I was going to win all these contests at Verizon, which really like boosted my self-esteem. And I ended up leaving there. And then I did sales for Square, who makes Cash App uh, and, you know, does credit card processing. While I was at Square, I was meeting all of these different business owners mm -hmm. because we're making this credit card processing service. I'm talking to 10 or 20 business owners a day sometimes. And it just kind of inspires something inside of me. You know, I'm seeing how much money these guys are making and I'm seeing how much I'm making when I'm closing them on business. I'm like, man, I think I'm on the wrong end of this equation. <laughs> so, you know, I quit. And this is now this is the third job I quit. Uh, but this time I had no plan. I didn't have any backup plan. I wasn't planning on going to any other company. I just wanted to start something new. And I want to start something for myself that I could build uh, on my own. And at the time, it actually wasn't Flipstick. I hadn't had the idea yet. But my 
my boss at Square had given me a book called The Alchemist, yep. which if you're in sales and you haven't read that, you should definitely read it. It's not a sales book, but it's a sales book, if you know it what is. I mean. Absolutely. And I read, well, at first I don't read The Alchemist, but through a number of circumstances, it chases me down. I hear about it on TV. I keep hearing, hearing it's on New York Times bestseller list. Everyone keeps talking about this book. So finally, I find a separate copy of the book that my boss hadn't given me, another copy that either I, all, I always owned or by some mysterious way ended up in my house. And I read the book cover to cover. And of course, it tells the story of a boy who goes on this journey to find his treasure. And he has to go along the journey to find his treasure. And, and he learns, learns early in his journey that he uh, has to follow these omens. And these omens are signs that help get him to his treasure. And, you know, I don't want to spoil the whole book, but what really touched me in this book, especially because I just quit my job in sales after seven years in sales, yeah. was at one point in his journey, he ends up for several years in a shop selling glassware. And he forgets about his treasure that he was actually meant to be going after. And he's like, man, well, I'm making good money. I have more money than ever. Like, I can just stay here forever. But he has to leave to go find what his true treasure was for. Mm. And man, it just sparked, you know, something inside of me because I'm like, wow, that's me. I had to leave, you know, where I was at, even though I was comfortable to go and find my treasure. And so it was with that mindset Three o'clock in the morning. This is October, November, October, November of 2017, that I get a phone call from my uncle, uh, who's an engineer at NASA, and he's telling me about a project he's working on for the space launch system. And he was going to use this adhesive uh, to allow um, him to plant all this wiring behind paneling and have it stay in place. And it was, you know, this reusable adhesive based off gecko's feet, and it was washable. and and I had, since I had just moved, I had mounted my TV on the wall and it took me an embarrassingly long amount of time to get this TV <laughs> mounted. And so I'm like, man, if I just had this NASA adhesive, I could have saved myself a lot of time and, and, and energy. And it just, I couldn't, it, I couldn't get it out of my head. And it was because it felt like an omen, right? It felt like yeah. one of these signs that the alchemist was talking about. And I end up doing more research, find more, find out more about it, see all these universities that had done research on the adhesive. And eventually I create a prototype, send it off to a couple factories in China. Uh, and a few months later, had had some um, prototypes back, started a Kickstarter campaign, taught myself to write patents and trademarks. And in April of 2018, we launched Flipstick. A, a company that makes a phone accessory that incorporates an adhesive that's based off of NASA technology that allows you to mount your phone to virtually any flat surface for hands-free pictures and videos, TikToks, all kinds of stuff. And the journey just kind of went wild from there. Man, sensational. Now, there's a couple of things that come out of that, right? So the first, the first thing that comes to mind is your uncle working at NASA. My ask yeah. the question... Do you guys sleep or is it just normal to ring your nephew at 3 a.m. in the morning? <laughs> well, so for my uncle, it is normal because, <laughs> you know, he has he's a he he works all day and then he gets home, smokes a cigarette and then he just stays up all night. So <laughs> I don't know how he survived at NASA for like 40 years with that type of set of schedule. But, you know, whatever. So he typically calls me at that time. And it's funny because normally when he calls, right, like 
it's banter. He's we're having some type of conversation, and then it's in one ear, out the other. Like I remember one time, he called me. And he's like, "Yeah, you know, um, I was working on a project, and you know, NASA has kind of shut down their facility where they're controlling the weather." And so I said, "Wait, ho- what? Back back up a second. What do you mean they're controlling the weather?" He's like, "You don't know about the weather control center in Alaska that 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 plants the." that does the seeding of the clouds and, the, and he just goes this whole thing. And I'm just like, at first I thought he was lying, but I'm like, well, he's probably not. And so, you know, sometimes it's about aliens. It's a, it can be about anything. Oh, and, so nice. uh, you know, he's just one of those type of guys. Right. And like, so normally I, I'm not taking any action on these calls. Right. It's if I'm up and he calls, I pick it up, we chat it up and, and that's it. But this time it was different. Wow. And I know in your history, because I'd love to explore how you found yourself and the process you went through to get on Shark Tank and the experience. But I know in your bio, you talked about the fact that at the age of 23, um, you were committed to a mental hospital, right? Yeah. So as we talked about before we press record, every single person, and you've described perfectly, and I think The Alchemist is another great example of the hero's journey, of which yep. all of us are on a hero's journey. Um and no amount of success, whatever success means to us, um, will be complete without some form of challenge or some form of, of obstacle. Absolutely. Um, what was what was the experience that you had around that? And looking back on that time, how did that become almost like a catalyst to help you yeah. propel forward? Great question. So, you know, if we rewind a little bit, I was at Verizon and I had... I had won this huge contest called Verizon Rockstar, which is like their big annual conference. You pitch all of Verizon's family of services. I won this whole thing. I, it, we're down in Miami and we're at this the Fountain Blue Hotel, one of the most fabulous hotels in the world on Miami Beach. And I win this huge contest, get to meet these celebrities. And I come back and I'm on top of the world, right? Yeah. And so a few months goes by. It's Thanksgiving. And now, you know, everyone calls me rock star at, <laughs> at, at work because, oh, you went and won rock star. So I, I'm at work. Uh, uh, it's Thanksgiving in America. And I, I had had Thanksgiving with my father. My mom was out of town and I was house sitting for a different uncle um, uh, for, far away from where I normally live. And it was, you know, the house was empty as by myself. And I was watching this Liam Neeson movie. And Liam Neeson is like, it's like, yeah, you know, when you die, it's not your life that flashes before your eyes, but it's the memory of all the regrets that you have or something <laughs> like that. And I have a massive panic attack. And wow. I never experienced true, like, gut-wrenching anxiety like that before. And I didn't even know what it was at the time. Yeah. And so I have this massive anxiety. I di- didn't know exactly what was going on. I just felt terrible. I, You know, I was cramping and... And, and and you know, holding my stomach. And I remember thinking that night, I had never contemplated suicide in my life. I always thought people who commit suicide. I was like, they're weak. How could they do yeah. that to their families? But that night, I was like, man, I don't know what's going on with me, but I think this is anxiety. And now that I'm experiencing this, if I had to experience this every day for 10 years, I could understand why someone would end it because this yeah. is very painful and I yeah. don't know how to stop it. Yeah. So I wake up the next morning. I'm okay. And I'm like, thank God, you know, won't be watching any more Liam. He's done. <laughs> I'm over. Yeah, we're not watching him. Liam anymore. Nielsen's now black band. <laughs> He's banned. Okay. 
And about about 60 seconds into my day, boom, panic attack comes right back. I feel full on anxiety again. It lasts the whole day. And then the next day and then the next day. And it's like the only relief I get all day is those first few seconds when I wake up and I, I, I'm kind of groggy and I'm like, okay, I'm all right. I'm not feeling it. I'm okay. And then it just comes on. And it got to the point where I started having insomnia. I didn't sleep for, I don't know, it had to be like, you know, a week or so. No sleep, not one hour of sleep. I would wow. literally stay in bed, eyes closed, could not sleep at all. And I was terrified because this had never happened to me before in my life. Uh, and I remember I was talking to my boss, Canadian, actually. Uh, yeah. His name was Curtis. And Curtis was like, Kim, you know, you, you're not doing good because my sales were pl- my sales were terrible. Sure. Um, and by terrible, I was still 90% to the goal. But that was terrible for me. And but your so, stance, because you were the rock star. Yeah, so terrible for me. And and he recognized that. And I'm actually incredibly grateful for Curtis for even really seeing it and understand it wasn't a lack of effort. It wasn't, um, you know, me being lazy or anything, but there was something that was wrong. Mm. And until he said it to me, you know, I knew there was something wrong, but I was like, well, no one else can see it. So, you know, I can just, you know, I have to ignore it. Yeah. And he gave me the number for his therapist. I went to see her. We had a conversation. I was like, oh, I'm just stressed at work. You know, no big deal. And at the very end of this conversation, I'm like, and also, you know, really it's work, but also I'm gay. No one knows. Not a big deal. Uh, never told anybody. But anyway, work is stressful. So can you write me a note so I can get out of work? Out. <laughs> just skip right over that. <laughs> and she's like, I'll think about it. She never wrote me the note. So I go back to work. Another week goes by. Curtis is like, Akeem, you have to get some help. Because yeah. he had also just went through a really serious mental episode because he had an emergency in the family. Yeah. And so I leave again. This time, Curtis actually wrote me a note to be like, hey, no, you got to go. Um, and I went back to the therapist. I was like, she's like, you want to talk for real this time? I was like, yeah. And and really what had been eating me inside all these years and it had just built up was the fact that I never confronted my own sexuality. I ran away from it my entire life. Yeah. And we sat and talked and she was like, do you think that's why you had issues in school, you know, with college? I'm like, probably because I was yeah. hiding then. And, and so she really challenged me to come out to my parents that day, same day. I left work that day. I went to the therapist that day. I had to leave the therapist, go check into the mental hospital. I get to the mental hospital, and the reason I had to go there is because the only way that I could get paid at work was I had to be at a hospital. Yeah. And so I go in, they check me, and they prescribe me just, you know, all these different pills, mood stabilizers, and lithium, and all this kind of stuff. And I tell them, I was like, you know, I really think the issue is I need to just come out to my parents, and I'm going to do that today. She's yeah. like, well, you still have to take the medication, or we won't approve your your stuff for your job. I was like, okay. I was like, it's not addictive, is it? She's like, No. It was addictive. But anyway, we'll get into that later. No, no asterisk. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I told her, I was like, nurse, you know, I'm going to tell my parents today. Probably not the best day. It's my dad's birthday. But, yeah. you know, I've waited this long. So, <laughs> And so that night I went, told my parents, and man, it was this huge weight that just lifted off of my shoulders because I hadn't even realized how how much of my mental capacity and creativity was going towards pretending to be someone that I wasn't. Yeah. And eventually my brain was just like, 
we can't do it anymore. Enough's like we, we simply can we we cannot do this anymore. Yeah. Uh, and it shut me down. Man. And so for all of that time, and I can't even begin to think how it how it is that you're pretending to be somebody that you're not, or trying to fit in with the expectations or the vision that other people might have of you to the yeah. point where you can't be your authentic self. It's man. And, you know, being in sales particularly, but also just coming from like a Christian family and stuff, I always had this perception that if people knew the real me, they wouldn't like me. And if I'm in sales, how can I make sales if people don't like me, right? Everyone likes me. But how can I make sales if people don't like me? What if my parents don't like me? I was so caught up in, in believing this belief that people will not treat me the way that they have. They will treat me worse. Yeah. And to my surprise, that was never the case. Yeah. I never had people treat me less than because they knew that about me. Yeah. And so it was just such a um, one. I was like, man, I could have done this some years ago. But also I was appreciative because I was like, you know, the world's come a long way in the past you know, few years. And so me being in this place now, you know, I'm not facing nearly what I potentially could have faced, you know, years prior. Yeah. And, you know, for a while. You know, I get out the mental hospital, I go back to work, I'm feeling a little bit better, but I'm taking these mood stabilizing drugs that really masking if there's anything Not addictive, by the way. They're totally not addictive. (laughs) And so um, a few months goes by and I'm feeling like, okay, I'm good now. You know, I've I've told my friends that I dropped out of college because now I'm doing good in, in my work. And, you know, I've told my parents, come out as gay. I'm feeling better. I'm going on dates. I'm like, okay, I'm fine. Then I win another sales contest, right? I was like a top 1% salesperson. Normally I would have gotten to go on a big trip, but because our division was going to be sold off, we got a check instead. And they come around the office with this big check and it says 15, it's like 15 grand on it. And it's like one of those, you know, comically large checks. I get the check, there's confetti, all this stuff. And this girl next to me, Brittany, she always was a pain for me. If Brittany was always causing me trouble. But in this moment, she looks at me with her, with her normal attitude. And she's just like, you know, Akeem, you don't look like someone that just got a $15,000 check. You're not even smiling. <laughs> and at first I was like, oh, Brittany. But then I was like, oh, I think Brittany's right. Something's still wrong. And what I realized in that moment was now I wasn't feeling anything. Now I was so even keel that I couldn't have excitement or none. And I just wasn't feeling anything because the drugs were suppressing, yeah. you know, my body being able to produce those chemicals for me to have those feelings. Yeah. And so that night I quit cold Turkey. I stopped taking the drugs. And when I tell you that anxiety rolled in so hard, worse than I had ever felt in my life. And that's when I knew for the first time, like, Oh wow, my body's dependent on these drugs because for the past four months, it hasn't had to produce any of these chemicals. Mm. I've just been been dosing it. So now it's like all out of whack. And man, that night for me was transformative because that night, having all these flood of emotions that have been suppressed for the past few months, uh, I just had such a spiritual experience. And I, I really kind of had like a came to a come to Jesus moment where, you know, I just felt like I I realized for me what it meant to know God in that moment for God to know me. And, you know, I had kind of shunned that belief and, 
you know, really wasn't spiritual, didn't know anything about meditation or anything at the time. Yeah. And all these emotions flood in and over the next day, few days and weeks, man, I just became so much more self-aware. I really went internal and it just opened up a whole world for me, which is the only reason I, when I read The Alchemist several years later, that it, it meant so much to me yeah. because yeah. it reminded me of how I felt that night and the following days when I had that first realization and, and was learning about law of attraction and meditation and mindset and, and, you know, all of these types of things. And it really set me on a new trajectory because it, because of that night, I actually decided to leave Verizon because I was going to stay and transition to the new company. But I realized something else that night when I felt all of those feelings, I realized that I no longer was fulfilled in my yeah. job. I was making lots of money, but I wasn't fulfilled. Uh, and it taught me what it felt like to be in a state where it's like, no matter what your surroundings are, you're not following, you're not chasing after your treasure anymore. And and it, and it let me know like this chapter of my life is over and it's time for the next. It's interesting how you talk about that because you mentioned before that when you were reading The Alchemist, you're saying, hey, that's me. And it's almost like telling you the story that you've been living and now you've got context mm. that you've been on your own journey and everything you've talked about has and some people look back and say, I wish I didn't go through that, or I wish that didn't happen to me. But if you mm. look at it with perspective, everything that happens yeah. to you is not necessarily happening to you, it's happening for you if you look at for it. For you. Right. So absolutely. And and to have people like your parents who were there supporting you, and you probably realize at the time which parents are there are gonna love you anyway, right? Because they love you yep. for who you are, yep. not what not what you're perceived to be. And have a manager like Curtis, um, because yep. how many sales leaders would be out there that if you have been mm. a rock star, number one salesperson, and then you come to the next quarter and you're down below your target, most of them will say, hey, what are you going to do to close the gap? It looked like and it sounded like he was more interested in your welfare. Knowing that, that's where I need to focus my attention because it's not about the number. It was so powerful. And I've been so fortunate because not only did he do that, but then my next manager did that for me as well. And, yeah. and that is so uncommon. And so when I have my own organization and then I have my own salespeople, I, I dealt with so many personal things with their lives. But it was because I knew if they weren't all the way there in their lives, they couldn't be all the way there in their work. And, yeah. and, and, you know, we would love to believe that we can just compartmentalize and work is work and home is home. But that is simply not the way people work. You know, it's just not possible for little things. Sure. But once it gets so big, you simply can. And so because my employees knew, like, I'm there for you. Whether it's at work, home, you can talk to me about anything and yeah. we'll talk about it like man it made such a difference because they were so willing they knew that i understood where they were coming from yeah. and and it made them want to work even harder to get things yeah. done yeah. because they knew like hey if if i if they tell me i need time i'm going to give them time if they tell me they need an ear i'm going to give them the ear yeah. um and i remember one of my employees was going through a really nasty divorce and it was affecting him just drastically. And this is a this is an officer within, you know, this pretty high up within my organization. And I could just tell he was struggling. And I really appreciate one for him being vulnerable to tell me, but also for him just when he was sometimes he'd be better than other, but when he was really down, he let me know. And he yeah. knew he could do that. 
But yeah. because of that, man, when he when he had the capacity, he he did everything. You know, I mean, talk to emails at 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 seven p.m. on a Sunday. Like he's working hard, and so I, I tell this to I do a lot of leadership conferences, and I tell people like, hey, you got to manage the whole person. If you don't manage the whole person, you will never get one hundred percent from them. That's it, it won't happen. That's it. That's it. And the and the big thing there, and and what you've described is one of the important attributes of, of a leader is you've got to build genuine trust in your team. Mm. And in order to do that, you have to genuinely care about the people in your team and don't refer to them Absolutely. as these are my re resources or these are my subordinates. No, no, mm -hmm. I care about you as a human being. And you've just, you've just said it, right? There are people that are going to share things with you as a leader that perhaps in the context of a corporate or a business, you wouldn't, wouldn't expect them to share. But because you've made them feel comfortable, they feel as if they can be confident in sharing that, knowing that it's not going to go anywhere else. But it does affect their impact and their ability to be effective at work. So it's it's a great attribute to have. Yeah, and it's like, you know, people won't tell you things if they think they're going to get fired because you see them as a liability. And yeah. that's how a lot of people move through corporate environments is they feel like if they know anything about me, I'll be fired. It's just like people who are in the military, they never want to take the, the mental fitness test because... If the doctor says, oh, they're depressed, oh, you're out the military. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's the same thing in a corporate environment. And, you know, as, as I was mentioning earlier, when I was at Square and I had Tom, who was my my sales manager, when I came to him and said, Tom, you know, I'm just not passionate about it anymore. You know, I feel like I need to go do something else. You know, he's like, well, look, let's take three months. If you're still feeling that way, you know, we'll, we'll slowly, off, off, you know, offboard you. And when it came to that time, when it was time for me to go, he wasn't, you know, you didn't hit your number for the past three months. You, you know, you know, upset at me for leaving because he has to hire somebody else. No, not at all. Instead, he's like, Akeem, I know you got money saved up. I know you could go out, not do anything if you wanted to, but you're meant to do something bigger than that. And I want you to make sure you go do it. And that's why he gave me that book, because it, it was it was about more than just an employee. He actually cared. And he actually went on to become the head of sales um, uh, for the entire organization. And he actually ended up joining the board of our company as well, too, um, as one of our board members. And so it's one of those things where, man, a power. And I wasn't surprised when he became head of sales because a manager who would do something like that is exactly the type of person that you want as the leader of your sales organization. Uh, and so I tried to distill that within me, what I learned from, you know, two of the best sales managers I've ever had. Love it. Love it. And it's, there's such, there's so many great lessons in that, but the biggest one for me is to be authentic, to be generally there caring for your people. And if you do that, and, and the key thing, the word is genuine because there are too many yep. leaders out there who have conditions attached. If you're if you're making me look fantastic, Akeem, I'm gonna be I'm gonna keep feathering that nest because you're gonna keep making me look good. Right. But it's when the proverbial hits and things are not going mm. so well is when the leader is going to be tested. And in those moments, yep. that's going to leave an indelible mark on you if if that person is a genuine a genuine leader, which sounds like both both of those guys were. Man, yeah, I've been very fortunate in that respect. Awesome. So fast forward then, and you've done the research. You've actually sent off the the prototypes to China that have come back, um, and Flipstick has started. Now, yep. What was the process? I'd, I'd be really cu I'm curious curious to know what was the process that you went through to get 
on a shark tank because and if it's okay with you i might put in the show notes the um the link to your website which has got a, a 10 minute episode um of of the wrapping you did and your pitch to the shark tank yeah. guys it's fantastic <laughs> but just talk me through the process of of getting onto that show and, and what were some of the key lessons um because i know yeah. that the the growth of flipstick really ramped up past that it wasn't as a result of that Absolutely. necessarily it happened after that but um, what was the key lessons there and what was the process like going through and, and how intimidated it? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, shark. So just to kind of break shark tank down, right. So about 40,000 people apply to shark tank, just the U S version each year, you know, there's versions in almost every country in the world yeah. now, um, use it called dragons. Den. they have different names, you know, depending on where you're at, but in America, about 40,000 people apply every year, only 120 people go to air every year. So it is it is very difficult to uh, to 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 get in, and so you know I go through the process. I get from forty thousand, I get past the first round, down to the final couple thousand, get past that round, and I get to essentially the final like two hundred people, and I'm talking to the executive producers or not executive producers, but I'm talking to the producers, and excuse me, and you know they let me know they're like okay Kim, you know you're very far in the process. We only have to whittle it down. We only have to get rid of about 80 people. Um, you know, if for some reason you don't get to move forward, we'll let you know, but you're going to get a call from us either way. Uh, so I knew, I was like, all right, I'm very far in this process. And I just knew I had it. We had uh, previously to go to Shark Tank, I had opened up a kiosk in our local mall because I didn't know anything about marketing on a website. So I said, I'm just going to go back to my roots. I'm just going to sail in the mall. And we had done about $30,000 in sales in two months at the mall at a kiosk, which was phenomenal sales. Uh, and so I'm at Shark Tank. I've applied. I feel like I'm going to get in. I get the call and they say, you're not going to be on the show. And I had put all my eggs in one basket because I just knew I had done a great pitch. I just felt like we had a great product and they were going to get me on the show, but I didn't make the cut. And so then, I, you know, I, I cried for a little bit, but then I had to pick myself up and be like, okay, what next? And I told myself, okay, if I can't have a celebrity investor from Shark Tank, then I'll have to find another celebrity investor because not only did I need money, but I needed somebody to help me market this thing because I couldn't just be at a key I selling them forever. So I, I'm looking around. Originally, I wanted Jay-Z, and then I was like, oh, he's probably too hard to get to. Uh, and so I'm looking around, and eventually through a crazy set of circumstances that I won't, I won't get into the whole story here, but... Uh, I find out about this event that Sean Diddy Combs was having, like third richest rapper in, in the business, maybe second now. Um, and he was having an event called Revolt Summit in Atlanta. And he was going to have a pitch competition for businesses. And at this, at this conference, it was really for people who were interested in entering the music and entertainment industry. But since they had this pitch competition, I bought a VIP ticket. I flew down there. And, and I find out, before I get there, that the pitch competition is actually closed and I won't be able to pitch, but I'd already paid for the ticket. So I'm like, okay, I got to figure something else out. Turns out it had a music competition and they were giving away a record deal. So I said, hey, you know, I took music appreciation in high school. You know, I, I played the piano. So I'm just going to write a rap and I'll pitch my business in a rap to Sean Diddy Combs and DJ Khaled and all the other rappers and celebrities <laughs> that are going to be there. Now, listen, kids, don't don't put this in your in your dissertation for school. Don't put this in your sales plan. You will definitely get an F uh, or get fired for this one. But that was my plan. 
And I go down. I perform the rap. They absolutely love it. I get to the top five. I'm going to be able to get on the stage and do my rap pitch for all the celebrity judges. And then I get disqualified. Oh, they say I'm not a real rapper. <laughs> and I'm like, they're like, you want a re- you don't want a record deal. You're trying to get an investment for your business. I said, what's the difference between those two things? That's the same. They disagree. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting there, but you got to understand at this time in my life, my mindset was ironclad. I just knew I needed to be at this event. And no matter what, this event was meant for me to close the sale, period. And so even though I had been disqualified, rejected, I said, it's not over until I win. And right before the, the final music competition on stage with the top five, there was a comedy show. And so I'm at the comedy show. I'm sitting in the front row and I just decide I got to stand up. So I stand up, take my, I have products with me. I take my product out. I hold it up in the air and the comedian looks at me. And he's like, bro, what are you trying to sell me? He used much more colorful language than that, but I don't want to curse him. <laughs> he's like, what are you trying to sell me, man? And I go full pitch mode. I'm like, this is my product. It lets you stick your phone in any flat surface. And it's a kickstand and you can wash it. And it makes TikTok videos. And he looks at me and then he starts cracking these jokes about all the inappropriate places he wants to stick the flip stick. And the crowd starts laughing and people start running up to the stage to talk about their products and services. And eventually they let a kid on stage to do a freestyle. And I'm like, wait a minute, I also have a rap. And he lets me on stage, I perform the rap during the comedy show, the whole crowd sees it. And the same person that disqualified me from the music competition runs up Takes me backstage. I get to meet DJ Khaled, Diddy. I get to meet the CEO of all the companies uh, uh, that that Diddy owns. I get to meet the the head, the sponsor executives who were there. AT and T, the largest um, phone company in America, was there uh, as the, they were the keynote sponsor. I get to meet all those guys, and eventually, they buy a ton of flip sticks from me. After lots and lots of follow up calls, don't get it twisted. I have to call them every day, uh, but eventually. Uh, they 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 buy a ton of flip sticks from me, invite me to L.A. And in L.A., I did the whole thing all over again. And this time Snoop Dogg was on stage and I convinced Snoop Dogg to let me come to the stage. I give him the flip stick. We have this crazy viral moment where he's like, I want to hear about the sticky phone at this event. Security was trying to haul me out because <laughs> once again, I'm disrupting things. <laughs> uh, but Snoop Dogg was like, no, I want to hear the guy with the sticky phone. He could have the thing that's going to change the world. He lets me come to the stage. I give it to him. I had his face on the flip stick. He absolutely fell in love with it. And between Snoop Dogg and Diddy and, and those guys, they called um, some of the casting people at Shark Tank and they got me on the show. And so, so I know that was a long roundabout story, but yeah, it was through failure and, and the way that I navigated that failure that I actually ended up on the show. And so, so the, are you saying then the first time you were cut that the second time is what you see on the video is the rap that you created? That's exact. For Diddy, Shark Tank, having heard this story, and here's how crazy it was. One of the, one of the judges for the pitch competition in Atlanta that I never pitched for yeah. was actually a casting director on Shark Tank. And he worked all the time with the revolt organization. And so as I'm disrupting the comedy show, 
as I'm disrupting in LA with, with Snoop Dogg, he's in the meetings in the background and they're talking to him. They're like, yeah, this guy did this and this guy did that. And now he's rapping to Snoop Dogg and we bought products for him, but he's still causing trouble. And, and they just love the story. So the next time around, prior to me even auditioning, everyone at Shark Tank already knew the story, right? Yeah. The producers knew what it was. Everyone knew. So at that point, me auditioning was a formality because in the room here, this casting director had already been telling everyone, like, you, we got to have this guy on the show. And that's why when you go and watch my Shark Tank episode, I do this rap, which is a modified version of the same rap I did uh, to get Revolt and Diddy and those guys to buy flip sticks. Sensational. Sensational. So we were going to we were going to talk about storytelling and i think you've actually just weaved storytelling into that beautifully because as you were as you were talking about that there was a number of things that came to mind um for you looking back because it would have been easy particularly when you got that vip ticket the first time and you found out that the pitching contest had closed it would have been easy for you to say oh well just enjoy the show right but you didn't. Yep. Right? So this is a really key lesson for, for people who want to make some sort of progress. You've got to break through the barrier because you don't know what's on the other side of that barrier and you've got to take a chance. Mm. And that chance is, you know what? You could fall flat on your face. You could make the biggest fool of yourself. But as you <laughs> mentioned, you just knew. You were certain of yourself. And I say this to leaders all the time. In a sea of uncertainty, you've got to be certain about yourself because that will actually mm, create some momentum and powerful. others might actually follow that that example. And so if you listen, look back on that experience um, and think about what you're doing right now, if there was one or two key lessons from that, Akeem, that held you in good stead that you can now pay forward, because I know you now do a lot of keynotes and you do a lot of mentoring yourself, what would, they want to, what would those one or two lessons be? Well, you know, number one, you, you hit it on the head, right? You have to be certain of yourself because when you have that certainty, you won't give up right as you hit that wall. And on the other side of the wall, whether it's rejection, whether it's embarrassment, whether it's missing your numbers, whether it's your, whatever it may be, on the other side of that wall is always your next biggest plateau. And it was it was through doing this a few times that I started to realize, like, man, it's always when I was just about to give up on the other side of that is when there was this huge opportunity that propelled me forward in a major way. And so when you when you have that belief in yourself and you know that, hey, life is cyclical, there are going to be good times, there's going to be bad times, there's going to be summers and there's going to be winters, like there's going to be night and there's going to be day and just know like, hey, you know, winter comes after fall, right? But after winter is spring. Like, it will be here. Like, it will definitely be here. But then it'll be winter again. Like, just know that. And and that at that point, you start to realize, like, okay, yeah, I just shorten my winters, increase my springs so that I get all the opportunity I can when it's there. And when it's not my time and it's not my opportunity, it's not working, I'm getting prepared. And so because I kind of navigate things that way, like when it's in my summer and when it's in my springtime, I know I'm going for it with everything I got because I have the confidence and the belief in myself. And, you know, I'm a big believer that if you follow your gut, what, one of the things that really helped me from having all of the, my my troubles and my issues with mental health was I really start to understand what that anxiety felt like and the difference between anxiety and 
fear that was going to stop me from moving forward. And the difference between anxiety, fear, and caution to let me know, like, this is not the right decision to make. And this yeah. just came through experience. But I remember reading and like, it was like a Harvard journal. It was talking about how your gut has, has the, has almost as many neurons as your brain does millions and millions, hundreds of millions of neurons in your gut. And so the, and they didn't realize this until, yeah. you know, the past couple of decades. And so that just goes to show you that there is intuition in that segment, just like there's all this intelligence in your brain. And you, and once you really start to understand those feelings, you understand like, Oh, these feelings aren't things to run away from are things to sedate. They're really things to listen to. Yeah. Uh, and as I started to follow those, man, it just, it really changed everything for me. And, you know, you mentioned Darren about storytelling and what I realized from all of that experience and leading up to, to getting on Shark Tank was that they weren't really interested in the product. They were interested in the story. And once that story was so powerful that it was just unresistible, they knew they had to put it on TV. And once they put it on TV, the viewer at home bought the story. And here's the thing. Not only did the viewer at home buy the story, the first time it was supposed to air, it didn't actually even come on TV. It got interrupted because it was presidential election week here in the U.S. They preempted the episode in 2020 because we didn't know who the president of the United States was. And they just went to news coverage. I was oh, devastated. No. It was the worst it was the worst night of my entire life. I did, you have, did you have all your friends and family around ready to oh, watch it? I have it? my whole family. Where, where I have a video. If people go to my Instagram, you can see the video where we all literally start screaming. <laughs> we had this huge watch party. And it was, look, I can laugh about it now, but it was horrible. <laughs> but it was still, after a, after some, 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 a very difficult night or two, I realized that in that 40 hour period, even though most people who normally would have been watching didn't even get to see it, it aired late, it got interrupted, you know, a, a couple minutes into my pitch, people still went out, they found us, they bought it, and we sold as much in the 48 hours after that episode airs we had in the previous two and a half years of the entire business. Wow. Uh, and so, and not only that, but I called the executive producer of the show and, and I, I asked him, I said, this seems so unfair that this happened. And, you know, I think you should re-air that episode. Now, here's the thing. Shark Tank makes you sign a document saying that, hey, even if we intend to air it, we may not. But I told him the story of who I was. I sent him a video. And for the first time ever, they re-aired an episode in the normal time slot. And it happened to be on a holiday. It was on New Year's Day. And so we ended up airing actually twice on Shark Tank. Um, and it was really because when I caught when I when I sent my video to the executive producer, he cared about the story. It was yeah. the product. He's done millions of people, you know, well, not millions, but there's been like, I don't know, like over a thousand people have been on Shark Tank. And the fact that he would for the first time do this, he I remember he told me in that email, he's like, you know, Akeem, this has happened before when the Boston bombing happened. We didn't air. We never aired that episode. It just never aired. He's like, but talk to, you know. ABC and Sony and all these guys and, and we decided we're going to re-air your episode and it was just a, it was remarkable and so as I moved through the journey of Flipstick and we started to scale and we raised additional outside capital I always remembered like okay it's really about the story yeah. and I would tell that story to get in all these major retailers including 
Target here in the U.S., Best Buy, AT&T, T-Mobile stores, international distributors. And then what really unlocked the power for Flipstick is once I had sold my story to sell to get these big sales and big investors involved, then we started taking our customers' stories and we started telling their stories because it was like, okay, Akeem's story is great, but it can only take you so far, right? That's that yeah. founding story, that mission story. But then our customer story is what moved it for further from us. And man, some of the stories that we captured from our customers, they just were phenomenal. And, and it showed, it honestly, for me, even made me realize like, man, we're doing, even though we make a product that is designed for people to make TikTok videos, you know, you wouldn't think that it would affect too many people, but somehow it had. And as we started to, to tell those stories, you know, we started to see a lot of success. Right. That is, that is, an awesome story. And as you were talking about it, you mentioned it a number of times, Shark Tank guys were not interested in your product, but what they're interested in is you and your story. And yeah. I, I say this to sales teams and sales leaders all the time, and, and it's, it feels like I'm talking until I'm blue in the face, that your customers don't care about your product. What they care about mm. is a solution to a problem. And if you can weave storytelling into that, it couldn't. Yeah. It, do, it doesn't matter what product. Obviously, you've got to have a product that's functional, right? But yeah. they're not going to buy the product for the product. They're going to buy the product, mm -hmm. the story, and the person, and and the stuff behind it. Yep. That is that right. is the game. Okay. Darren, you're so right because here's the thing. Like, and I never realized I had been doing this my whole career, but it was for someone else. So yeah. I didn't realize that's what I had been doing. But when I would sell at, at when I was selling cell phones and plans at Sprint. When I was selling um, fiber optic at uh, Verizon, our, our professional business services and credit card processing at Square, I would never talk to them about, it does this, it does that, it does this. <laughs> never talk to them about that. What I would tell them is I would say, oh, what's your business? What do you do? And they would say, oh, I'm a tattoo parlor. I said, oh, wow, that's really awesome. A few years ago, I had a tattoo parlor. He was doing cash only. He didn't think he needed to accept credit cards at his tattoo parlor. And I came in and I said, for just 3% on every transaction, you can accept credit cards. And not only that, you can offer rewards for those people that want to get a whole sleeve and keep coming back. And not only that, but you can market to them and send them emails and coupons and follow up with them. And I promise you this, if you, if you sign up for Square, you're going to double your business. And the only reason I know that is because I helped another tattoo parlor. I told the name of the tattoo parlor. The only reason he knew it is because it was his top competitor in town. And he knew <laughs> they had grown a lot more than him. And I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, about six months ago, I got them square. It's, they were already taking credit cards. Say, but it saved them a ton of money to added all this value to their business. And that's why, and you know they've grown, and that but that's why they've grown. That's the behind the scenes of why it happened. Do you think that guy was like, I don't want that? No. He was so caught up on the fact of how much it was going to cost him. He didn't even contemplate that it could make him money. That's and it. if I had to just showed him all these features and been like, you get all of this for this amount of money, he would have been like, no. But since I told him the story of someone he could identify with and how it affected their business and what it did for them, now he's like, man, that's a great story. I want that to be my story. And, and that is literally all that you're doing is you're telling people stories about other businesses and other services that people have. And when they see themselves in that story, they know like, oh, wow, 
if it worked for them, it'll probably work for me. Um, and, and now it's not, you know, let me just try to get, nobody cares about your product. They care about what it's going to do for them, how they're going to, you know, improve from it. And man, it's, it's just so powerful. And when they do that, they become your companies and your product's biggest advocate. Oh man. They'll, they'll do huge. the marketing for you. They will do it for you. I remember, and I know we're short on time, but I remember uh, my marketing director sends me an email. He's like, Kim, you've got to see this. One of our customers uh, was deaf and he was making videos for his community about why they should buy flip sticks. And I see this video and he's like, he's telling everyone, he's signing, right, about why everyone in his community should buy a flip stick. And what I didn't realize is I had this assumption that People who were deaf just sent text messages. I'm like, hey, we got text. You can send the text. It's easy. But as we all know, just like me and you talking here, you can't see my facial expression, how I'm feeling, what's going on. And 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 sign language is a very expressive language. And they use their their facial emotions and their and the way they move their hands and the quickness within they move it to really uh, convey how they feel and what it is they're saying. But there's a problem. If you're sitting here holding your phone in one hand, you can't sign. So he was like, you can get this, guys, and now you can FaceTime anywhere and be able to sign instead of having to send a text message. I had no idea this was even a problem. But here we had a customer who was doing this, and when I tell you we found him, we made him a brand ambassador, we paid him 20% commission, and then he ran a ton of ads on, on his videos he was selling so many flip sticks, it was unbelievable. Wow. And it was just one of those things where it's like, this is a story I, ne- you know, I never would have known about this. I didn't know it was a problem. It wasn't something I was looking for. I'm like, hey, you can make an Instagram video, you know, but here this was actually solving a real problem for real for real people, but it only it, but it came from the customer. Yeah. And it was really our duty to to um to uncover the stories that were out there that were yet to be told. Yeah. And it's the customer story, making the customer the hero of the story. The hero. Man, that's it. Mate, we are literally out of time. This has been phenomenal. I reckon I could talk to you for hours. Um, So (laughs) the people listening to this who want to know more about you, great man, but also Flipstick, where's the best place for them to connect with you? Absolutely. So they can get Flipsticks at uh, getflipstick.com as well as on Amazon. Uh, and depending on what country you're in, maybe other places as well, too. Uh, but uh, they're available there. Uh, and then you can follow us at Get Flipstick. That's F-L-I-P-S-T-I-K on Instagram, TikTok, all other social medias. Uh, and then you can follow me if you're interested in motivation. If you're struggling with yourselves, you just need someone to reach out to. Uh, you can reach me at Akeem Shannon. That's A-K-E-E-M Shannon on all social media channels. And then I also have a text-based number for U.S.-based numbers uh, where you can text and just get feedback or help, whether you run a small business, you're in a sales organization, you just need a little motivation to enter the next chapter of your life. Uh, And that number is plus one, three, one, four, seven, eight, nine, nine thousand five. And I know that number because I got a text from you yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Uh, thank you. I'll uh, I'll put all that on the uh, on the show notes. Uh, absolute pleasure speaking with you. I reckon um, we'll have to do a round two because there's so much more I want to talk to you about. So um, 
Thanks so much for being a fantastic guest on the Exceptional Sales Letter podcast, okay? Thank you for having me, Darren. Much appreciated. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.